If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 517. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. Give me that email address. While you're there, you get on my email list. You get great coupons and other things for doing that. You also get a free ebook, Forgotten. Cons- I'm sorry, Forgotten Founders in American History, and it's a great, great little short ebook. And I read the ebook to you uh, in the audiobook. So great thing to get. Also, go to uh, McClanahanAcademy.com, purchase a class or ten there. That helps keep the show free of charge. You've already heard about that. Go to my support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way or get a book plate. Purchase one of my books. I'm going to talk about one of those books today. You can also click on the shop tab, buy your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Get your gear. And as always, share it around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Now, this is a listener-generated episode because after uh, when, I, when I've talked about principles on this show and I do get comments on the YouTube channel, the YouTube channel is great. You get to watch me do the podcast, not live. I record it. Um. But I, I do read the comments under there a lot, and some of them are just ridiculous, and others are good. Others are really great comments, and sometimes I respond to them. But this particular person said, okay, look, if, and if just to give you background, this almost this whole year I've had this ongoing uh, running debate with Michael Anton at American Greatness about what is conservatism. And so his question was, well, look, if Anton is incorrect, if Hillsdale is incorrect, if the Straussians are incorrect, American greatness is incorrect, then we need something that would push back on this in a very concise way. I mean, if their idea of the proposition nation is incorrect, then what is real American conservatism? This is a good question. It's a very good question. And I think one that deserved an answer in a podcast form rather than just me writing in a comment. It could take a while to answer this question, but if we have to condense this down into something that you could say, all right, so when they say proposition nation, what do we say back? Because they're going to come out, well, it's, it's equality. That's, that's conser- it's this idea of equality that is a, it's conservative. This is Jaffa. This is where they all come from. They're coming from this essay that Jaffa wrote on equality as conservative. And Mel Bradford took to task and wrote an essay entitled The Heresy of Equality. It's really good. And, of course, the Jaffais, the West Coast Straussians, which is what they are, I mean, and they're cousins of neoconservatives in so many ways. They they don't see eye to eye on everything, but they don't like it when you call them neoconservatives, but they share a lot in common, particularly the Jaffa, the, the Straussian stuff, right? So they share a lot of that in common. So when you look at what they say, I mean, their their core of their belief is one thing, the Gettysburg Address. 
everything revolves around that in one way. They can say it's the founding, but it's not really the founding. Because what they've done is taken Lincoln's interpretation of the founding and then transplanted that back and read the founding documents back within the context of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. So they, they've gone back in time from a mid-19th century perspective on what the founding was. You know who else did that? Well, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Frederick Douglass. This is what they all did. They looked at the founding from that very leftist, liberal, mid-19th century. They're 19th century reformers, and they're reading the founding that way. They're reading back into it that stuff that came out of the middle of the 19th century. You look at Douglass's speech on what the 4th of July means to an American slave, which, by the way, I'll be covering in my 26 speeches that changed America. Uh, so you read that. Or if you read Lincoln's, Getty, Get, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, which, by the way, I'll be covering in my 26 speeches that changed America. You're going to want this class. It is so good. And it comes out in October, just in time for Christmas, by the way. You get it. And, uh, you know, I'll, of course, I'll probably run a little sale there with that. And uh, then we'll have our Black Friday sales, which I don't know what I don't know how I don't know what I'm going to do with those yet. So if you see a sale, make sure you jump on it because I don't know what I'm doing for Black Friday yet this year. We've had a lot of sales this year already. So, uh, but anyways, if you're up, if you're on my email list, you know that. So when you look at these things. What they're doing is reading back into the founding the Proposition Nation. And Lincoln said it, right? Our forefathers brought forth a proposition that all men are created equal. And that's the idea. That there is a proposition nation with equality and, and a conception of equality at the center of it. Now, the Straussians, the Hillsdale people, the neo they'll all say, well, yeah, this is true, but you can only take equality so far. As Paul Gottfried just pointed out, well, who gets to decide when you stop? Because, I mean, would Frederick Douglass, if he was around today, be happy with the modern, uh, with, with a Straussian view of equality? Probably not. I mean, the idea that we're going to make all these leftists into conservatives is just preposterous. It's stupid. It is stupid. So when I challenged Anton and saying, look, uh, these guys really didn't believe in equality. That, that, that wasn't on their radar. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. And he went back and tried to show all these different areas. And then, of course, you point out that this is just foolish. You use Barry Shane's monumental study on the Declaration, documentary study, where after that was after I published that essay, he said, you didn't even go far enough. You could have, you could have, you could have skewered them with these things. Skewered them. I only had 2,000 words, right? Michael Anton had like six. So the question then is, what is the, if the proposition nation isn't it, if the West Coast Straussians and the Hillsdale people, if they're all wrong, if we, what we really, if American conservatism is not the proposition nation and the national, Hamiltonian nationalism, then what is it? Well, there's the counterweight to that, which is, as Clyde Wilson and I pointed out in our book, Forgotten Conservatives in American History, the spirit of 76. The principles, not the spirit, but the principles of 76. It's more in line with it. The principles of 76. You see, the Virginia folks, 
the Virginia political leaders, would talk about this in 1798 and moving forward. The principles of 76, the old Republicans, would talk about the principles of 76. Well, I'm going to read a couple of parts of this book, the introductory chapter and primarily, but also the dust jacket uh, blurb for that. Forgotten conservatives in American history. The American public has been bullied into the false belief that centralization, commerce, and a fusion of the state and finance capital are the dominant intellectual underpinnings of the American right. Now, you could also include in that this proposition nation myth. Right? We wrote this in 2012. And I think at that point we were seeing, you know, the proposition nation stuff was wasn't as ascendant. It was there. It was all it's always been there since Jaffa. But in the last 10 years, it's gotten worse. From James Jackson, John C. Calhoun, and Mel Bradford to Grover Cleveland, William Faulkner, and Sam Irvin, the authors argue that American conservatism is distinctively more Jeffersonian than Hamiltonian and positively unique from its European counterpart. Rather than simply a reactionary impulse, American conservatism finds its roots in the ancient agrarian order and has done and has eight core values. Decentralization, sound money, light taxes, states' rights, low debt, family, community, and independence, both at home and abroad. And this is what I brought up when I was arguing with Anton. I said, he said, well, what is it then? If you don't believe in the problem, you don't believe in the founding. He's, he's saying, I don't, I don't believe in the founding, which was completely idiotic. But what is it then? Well, I pointed out, it's independence. The declaration, the core of the declaration is independence. And the last paragraph setting up free and independent states, at least codifying that in a way, and not just that, declaring it, these are free and independent states, is the basis of the American political system. When I say decentralization, we wrote decentralization in that. What we're talking about there is federalism. That is one of the core principles of 76. And we dedicated the book to those who fight for the principles of 76 and 98, past and future. The principles of 76 and 98, the old Republican idea of decentralization and federalism. And why would they be in favor of that? Because they were Virginians or Pennsylvanians or South Carolinians or Bay Staters or whoever. They, these people, Jeffersonians across the United States, because they weren't just in the South. They were interested in community, home, more than anything else. And you could say, well, that leads to reaction. The reaction was always to those who were innovators. There is a reaction to that. The innovators are going to re get a reaction out of people that aren't interested in innovation. They aren't interested in uh, some type of utopian nonsense that supposedly is going to make things better, but really doesn't make things any better. Just creates to more progress or more process to make things better, right? You get this endless process to make things better. That's the whole point of, uh, of this idea of Straussian... And even leftist nonsense. We're just going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving the goalpost. So these conservatives were interested in permanent things, as, as Russell Kirk called them. Permanent things. So if there's one phrase you could use, I would say the principles of 76 and 98, you could use that phrase. What are, what are, your, what are you offering America? Well, the principles of 76 and 98. Well, what is that? Well, the core of that, of course, is federalism. And when you have Sarah Silverman getting on uh, her, her uh, video, 
chat and saying, you know, maybe it's time that we just realize we have incompatible things. It's time to go. Well, my gosh, what do you think that is? That is the principles of 76 and 98. It's exactly what you're talking about. If we had real federalism in America, if that's what we had, California could be California and no one would care. This is the thing. No one would care what who's governor of California. I particularly don't care who's governor of California. I don't. I don't think it, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't live in California. So whoever their governor is, that's their business. If they want to have a failed state, if they want to have you know 30,000 homeless people living in Los Angeles and not do anything about it, that's their business. If they want to have a, an environmental policy that creates more wildfires, well, that's their business. It's horrible. But there's nothing I can do about that here where I live that's going to change the direction of that state. The people of California have to do it. And they failed. They failed to do it. And I think they were out. That's a whole other story. The Democrats, again, outmaneuvered them politically because the Democrats really are the professional politicians. The Republicans just play at politics. They don't really know what they're doing. They just, they just pretend like they kind of know what they're doing. But they're just a bunch of nincompoops most of the time. They made the election not about getting out Gavin Newsom, who was horrible, but they made it all about Larry Elder. See, this is what the, 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 the Democrats did. What they should have done is said, look, we just got rid of Gavin Newsom, and then we'll worry about who we're going to put and who we're going to vote in. Right? At that point, we can. We, the first part is just getting out Gavin Newsom. Then we can get in who we want. The hypocrite Gavin Newsom, the guy that's run California. I mean, we can get that, right? We, we, can, we can do those things. Then we can worry about the next part of it. But the principles of 76 and 98. So in this book, uh, Clyde Wilson wrote the introduction. And so I want to read that. It's pretty short, but I want to read that introduction Because I think this introduction nicely outlines what we did in the book. And if you've never gotten this book, I mean, here it is. If you're watching on YouTube, Forgotten Conservatives in American History. It's a great book. Fantastic, in fact. You want it. Makes a great gift. You want this book. So let me do the introduction here. Again, about three pages. It won't take me long. Several times in his dense treatise, John Taylor of Caroline, the Systematic philosopher of Jeffersonian democracy warned that political terms are treacherous and their exact meaning must be examined with care because words are themselves weapons in the eternal campaign of designing men to achieve power and exploit their fellows. Let them control the terms of the debate and you have already conceded the battle. That's an important point to make. When you let the left control the terms of what we're doing, which is what they... If you say that we agree with the proposition nation, you've already lost. You've already lost the battle because the left controls the terms then. Not only are political terms subject to deceptive use, but their connotations are inevitably relative and change with time and circumstances. So it is with liberal and conservative. During the second half of the 20th century, those terms fairly clearly described a division in the American polity. One had a pretty good idea of the difference between a liberal and a conservative, and could predict which way either might jump. That is no longer the case. Beginning with the upheavals of the 60s, for obvious reasons, the number of people who called themselves liberals began to decline, and conservative self-identification began to rise from a long spell in the doldrums. There's a great deal of discussion of exactly what conservatism is. 
There were traditionalists, libertarians, anti-communists, and others who agreed on a need to challenge the dominant liberal regime. The argument over what constituted an American conservative was never concluded. It was preempted by the rise to power of neoconservatives under the wings of Ronald Reagan. Soon the neoconservatives became the accepted, respectable right in American discourse, and the erstwhile conservatives became an irrelevant and possibly dangerous fringe, disdained equally by all decent people, whether liberal or conservative. The new conservatives, however, were a rather peculiar band to carry the name. They were Trotskyites, who had replaced their hereditary agenda of global socialist revolution with one of a global revolution of democratic capitalism. Unashamedly embracing Machiavellian tactics against opponents and against the American people, they glorified in big government and fervently planned to project American armed forces around the world. The national debt be damned. None of this could be considered a conservative agenda or way of proceeding. So the Straussians say, no, 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 we don't agree with that stuff. We agree with an American foreign policy is restrained, but they would be in line generally with their view on the American founding. And that matters. That matters. This was hardly what the millions of conservatives who voted for Reagan, the self-declared enemy of big government, had bargained for. However, it was probably inevitable given the political ineptitude and naive decency of conservative leadership, given that Republicans had always had a weakness for moralistic crusading, and given that neoconservatism did not much bother the state capitalist elite who really controlled the Republican Party. It could even be boasted that the new Republicans had the guidance of bona fide intellectuals, whom they had so long lacked, though the claim of William Bennett and other neoconservative luminaries to the status of intellectual might be questioned. We have chosen to be guided by Russell Kirk's classic, The Conservative Mind, in identifying who is conservative. According to Kurtz, once honored teaching, a conservative is one who values prescription, that is, who differs more to established custom and wisdom than to rational speculation, who insists that inevitable change should be cautious and reconcilable with the wisdom of the ages. A conservative avoids the a, being a provincial in time, recognizing a responsibility to the past and the future, he would not willingly burden future generations with debt by spending up everything for present notions and pleasures. An American conservative will certainly honor the true Constitution for the United States, as it was before agreed, and before greed, ambition, ignorance, and deceit distorted it beyond all recognition. An American conservative naturally remembers the warnings of the most revered forefathers about entangling alliances with foreigners. A conservative tends to value voluntary community, a larger sphere for private society, and a smaller sphere for government, especially the federal government. Fundamentally, a conservative is one who accepts the world was endowed by its creator with an enduring moral order, as described by C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man. In his love of creation, a conservative lights with proliferating variety of life among free people, the direct opposite of multiculturalism, which is an enforced monolithic non-culture. A conservative knows as well that man is forever imperfect, that evil comes in many comely guises, and that all progress, not all progress, is progress. Thus, the duty of a conservative in politics, society, and culture is to exercise what Kirk called the moral imagination, to keep in touch with and in tune with the moral order to which all questions must ultimately be referred and to which the giants of the past upon whose shoulders we stand have pointed the way. In understanding conservatism in American history, one must avoid a common confusion. In America, Kirk pointed out, an acquisition, I'm sorry, an acquisitive impulse has often been mistaken for a conservative disposition. 
Thus, there is a frequent erroneous identification of conservatism with capitalist interests. Conservatives generally believe in the necessity of private property for civilization and accept the utility of free markets and for general prosperity. That does not necessarily make them, them support corporate welfare or international conglomerates, which can be as destructive of social order as socialism and have a dubious relation to true private property and free enterprise. Now, again, we wrote this, or Clyde wrote this. We wrote the book in 2011. It was published in 2012. We wrote this book a decade ago. Think of where we are now. Think about the big corporations and what they've done with modern American society and how that's playing, particularly now to get big tech and what that's doing to America. We wrote this 10 years ago, a decade ago. And where we have, where we are 10 years later, it's amazing how fast things have gone. By this measure, the American regime today cannot be considered to be any significant degree conservative. The United States in the early 21st century, in fact, has no politics at all in the strict sense. Presidential elections do not address real issues, but revolve around personalities. Congressmen are elected according to their uh, adroitness in delivering the pork and are careful to leave all important and potentially divisive decisions to the president and the U.S. Supreme Court. Both parties are in essential agreement on a settled semi-imperial order, and they can hardly be told apart. Both are eager to please Wall Street and happy to let the monsters of media set the terms of national discourse. Both are content with a government that brings more and more of our life under federal control. Neither seems to think that a military presence is more than one in, in more than 100 countries or a catastrophic national debt or anything to worry about. Both are committed to the ongoing demographic and cultural transformation of American population by mass immigration. Both are in the process of legitimizing changes in age-old morality of sexual roles and practices, although at a different pace. It might be timely then to pay some attention to some of the numerous admirable people who have ex exemplified and preached forgotten conservative ideas. The men we have chosen do not agree completely among themselves. That is no problem. Because conservatism, as defined by Russell Kirk, is not an ideology or a fixed program, but a disposition. All of our subjects exemplify some lost aspect of American thought. Often they will be seen to be prophets as well as sages. So this is a great, I mean, look, it's a great book. Uh, and when you got Clyde Wilson writing it, it it's fantastic. But I want to, again, 10 years ago that was written. And think about how much has changed just in 10. We wrote that. I mean, these things were already happening, but they've gone on steroids in the last decade. Wokeness wasn't there yet. We were still about four years away from Dylan Roof. Uh, George Floyd was still years away. We were still we were still in a phase where you could realistically say that I don't I don't see how Lee's going to come down, just like that. It's gone. Um, and the now this this was still five years away from from uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and Trump, of course, threw a wrench in some of these things with some of the things he said about media and the fake news. And I mean, so he was certainly expressing some ideas that have been there since the 1990s. I talk about that in my Southern Conservative, I'm sorry, Southern Cultural and Intellectual History course, part four at McClanahan Academy. Part four has got a lot of that in it, the modern stuff. You got Pat Buchanan, for example, among others. Uh, but. And you got Mel Bradford. I mean, there's some really good stuff in there. So this stuff has always been there. And Trump expressed some of these things, though, because of power and all the hangers on and all these things. He couldn't really do what he wanted to do, but or at least what he said he was going to do. 
We don't know how much he really wanted to do, but what he said he was going to do. So you have this, what is American? What, where are they wrong? Well, they're wrong in their belief in the proposition nation where, where we would say is what we believe in, those eight points, but more importantly, independence. It's independence that was the key of the American founding. They wanted that more than anything else. It was independence. Jefferson said it a couple of weeks before he died. It was independence. All these lofty ideals. I mean, he would he would give lip service to it, and so did many others in the founding generation, but that real key was independence. And to Jefferson, the driving force of his political thought was federalism. Letting the communities do for themselves what they need to do. And this is how the Constitution was sold to the states. That's what we're looking at. Letting communities decide where they want to be. The principles of 76 and 98. Independence above all else. Federalism. States' rights. I mean, again, let me, let me list these eight things just as I wrote them. Decentralization, meaning federalism. Sound money, light taxes, states' rights, low debt, family, community, and independence. Family, community, and independence. Sound money. Clyde Wilson talks about avoiding and foreign, uh, entangling alliances, foreign policy that's America first. These are important things. Now, again, the Straussians, what they're, they're, for, they're against immigration. I mean, there are some things where we would see eye to eye. But you, if you're going to give the field, and this is what Clyde says right at the beginning, if you're going to give them the field by saying that the proposition nation is the core of conservatism, then you've already lost. Because that's not the core of American conservatism. These other things are. Independence, which is decentralization of states' rights. I mean, you could say that. That's the core of American conservatism, letting the local community decide the issues of the day. This is exactly how the Constitution was sold to the states. So, I hope I answered the question, and you need to go out and get Forgotten Conservatives in American History. Great book, by the way. Great book. And, um, I mean, I'm going to do a class at McClanahan Academy on that subject eventually, probably next year, maybe. I don't know. I've got a lot of other things I could talk about, too. But the next class, I'm going to cover some of these leftist speeches and other things that we need to talk about uh, that I even mentioned in this podcast. You're going to want to get that class at Everett McClanahan Academy. Enroll for free. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, and then purchase some classes there. You keep this podcast free of charge, and I give you little nuggets like this out in the, in the podcast. So support it financially by doing the classes. That's kind of the corollary to this podcast. So anyways, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed this week. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.